I'm Zachary Cartwright. This is water and food. You give me the water activity number, but what was the LOD? I'm like, I actually don't even really care. We can then reassess how we're doing what we're doing. We pivoted into water activity because it gave us the precision that we need. Welcome back to another episode of Water and Food. Today we have Zach Ferrer and Quinn Kylie Finley from Outcast Foods, a company that aims to reduce food waste through upcycling. Zach is the Director of Product Development and Regulatory Affairs, while Quinn is an Associate Research Scientist. Let's hear what they have to say on water and food. How are you guys doing today? Doing good. Happy to be here. Yeah, yeah great. 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 Yeah, we're happy to have you both here on the show. Uh, I know you both are, are both fairly new to Outcast Foods, and I'm wondering what drew you to this company? Why, why did you decide to work for Outcast? I think we have a very strong uh, mission and vision. So behind me on the wall here, we have Save the Produce, Save the Planet. It's kind of our true north. So it helps guide our, our all of our decisions. And I think it's a very compelling um, reason coming to work every day. We have a very strong why into what we do. And it's not just a company trying to make money or trying to um, please the investors. We're trying to do those things as well. But we have a very strong purpose in what we do. And what about you, Quinn? Uh, for myself, um, uh, being kind of from the background that I am from, um, I was drawn to Outcast solely also because of the mission and also the um, the first guy that I, um, the first person that I met here was Dr. Darren Burke, who was our CEO. And he was a professor at the university that I actually attended at St. Effects in Anaganish. And um, the fact that the values that are held here at Outcast are so true to my own that really drew me in. And now the fantastic people I work with also keep me here. That's awesome. Um, it definitely seems like a really good company to work with. And, and I'm interested, how did this company get started? What, what's the story behind Outcast Foods? So, uh, Dr. Darren Burke, Darren had owned a company called Rivalis uh, Sports Nutrition and had done very well and was uh, really knowledgeable about the, about the sports supplement scene. And then he had sold that company and he wanted to get back into the food industry and had a lot of passion for the qu things Quinn's talking about, uh, saving the planet, saving produce and did some exploration and started learning about food waste and realizing what a large opportunity there was and just seeing what a pity it was that all this good uh, nutrition and fruits and vegetables was being lost. So it's been through a few um, different uh, ideas and iterations. We actually were called uh, Beyond Food for a little bit and we settled on the name Outcast and then... Um, Darren was successful in raising some funding this past year. We had a really successful round of funding. We've started growing sort of uh, leaps and bounds now to vision, to, to bring the vision to life. And maybe you can talk a little bit more about your mission and, and what is upcycling? What does that mean to your company? So I'd say it's taking something that was going to be going to waste, either you know landfill, compost, animal feed, and it's bringing it back to a higher purpose. So for us, it's uh, traditionally... Um, uh, produce, which of types we'll talk about a little bit later, you end up in one of those streams, animal feed, uh, compost or landfill, sort of in, in descending order of, of preference there. Mm -hmm. And it's bringing that back and getting it back into the food chain. In fact, uh, trying to elevate it and really target the nutrition that's in there and give it to people that, that need it. Um, for us too, it's really putting it in a in a stable form, which we'll discuss a little bit later as well. But um, often some of the different types of produce, like the late life produce, it, it has a very short shelf life. So we want to stabilize it and uh, really give it sort of that that second life, that long life. And Quinn, where are you guys located? Do you have one main location? Do you have several branches? Where are you working out of? 
So Zach and I are working out of our facility in Burnside, Nova Scotia, and we are also working on the up getting started of our Burlington facility in Ontario. And Quinn, I was also hoping that you could talk about uh, your transition. I, I know you just finished college and, and you just started working at this job. And I was hoping you could fill our listeners in on how you found this job and, and what that process looked like for you. Yeah. So after being one of the f- first rounds of COVID graduates um, back in 2020, I found this job actually through an acquaintance and then they linked me up with Dr. Burke. And from then on, it was a pretty fast transition to a position here in R&D. It was the contrast, however, though, between when I started and when Zach joined us in April was uh, phenomenal in terms of development and progress that we've been able to make here as a company and coming straight out of university um, or less than a year after graduating from university it has been definitely a wild ride in terms of (laughs) your um, typical first job coming out of school it's definitely unorthodox but it's a great time and Zach, what about you? What What is your background? Have you done other things in the food industry? And how did that prepare you for your current role? Yeah, I've been in the food industry for almost uh, 20 years. Um, I have a food science background. I went to the University of Guelph uh, for a Bachelor of Food Science. And I did the co-op program there. So I got a chance to work in the confectionery industry, uh, dairy industry, um, worked in dry blending, made some hot chocolate for several years, which I enjoyed. Then I went to work for a major uh, multinational food company for about 12 years. Um, and learned a lot and had a really good time. I uh, really learned a lot about product innovation, how to list products. And I always kind of had a desire to get closer to the agricultural side. So I was always sort of at the further processing side of the of the industry, often buying ingredients or using ingredients that somebody else had processed. And I used to always wonder, you know, driving through farm country, driving through farms about how my food, both that I was making in, in, in the industry and that I was eating, how does it get from those farms to to me, because you see a lot of soy, a lot of corn, a lot of things getting grown. And it's always fascinating about how that actually works. Like, how do the farmers know what to grow? So I was always attracted to that part of it. So then I went to cannabis for about a year and a half, which was really interesting there, because that's basically that. You're growing it on site and then uh, processing it, um, drawing it, processing it, all that stuff on site, which is pretty interesting. It's not really common in the food industry to both grow and process on site. There are probably a few companies that do that. And then, so this opportunity came up as a really interesting uh, segue, going back, getting to deal with farmers, producers, a big part of the food industry I hadn't gotten to deal with previously, but actually a lot of the knowledge from cannabis, is not that dissimilar. Um, drying, you're trying to dry something gently to preserve its its characteristics. It's a little bit more gentle in cannabis than in food, but um, I was actually surprised, even when I was interviewing with Dr. Burke, um, sort of like the similarities a little bit in the technology and the process that we follow. And in, in the cannabis industry, and, and maybe also in your experiences in the food industry, were you focusing on moisture content or did you pivot to water activity? What did that process look like? Yeah, we definitely pivoted to water activity. So when I joined the cannabis company I was at, people were talking um, loss on drying quite a bit, moisture content. You know, you'll hear a lot in cannabis that 12 to 14% dried is, is the ideal standard. And trying to pin that down, we had several different types of moisture balance, and they all involve heat being applied over a time. And um, 
the test often takes 15 or 20 minutes on, on the short end. So people try and increase the heat. In the case of cannabis, you can actually smell the resin starting to burn. You can see some smoke coming off. You see volatiles coming off and you realize you're not getting an accurate uh, measurement. Um, so we, we, we pivoted into water activity because it gave us the precision that we need in that range. Even that range, the difference between 14 and 12% on an individual strain of cannabis might be huge in terms of the impact, its burnability, the overall enjoyment by the user. Whereas when you key in on, on the water activity, you can really like a uh, really key in on a single point. And we really like the equipment. The equipment is is rapid. It's uh, repeatable, and it really translates well to the humidity that we use in the drying rooms um, to help build a correlation there. Because it's really hard to build a correlation between time and temperature in a drying or a curing room to to moisture balance or, or loss on drying. But with water activity, a correlation is pretty much direct. So. Um, yeah, it was a, it just, we had to do a lot of education with people because people more intuitively understand loss on drying. Mm-hmm. And I think water activity is not overly complicated, but it's just not a, a, as intuitive for people. So a lot of education for people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You give me the water activity number, but what was the LOD? I'm like, I actually don't even really care, um, <laughs> about it, except we, we would still test it. And, uh, the Aqualab three, we actually use the projection feature just to help mm-hmm. explain to people, Hey, this is the water activity we're talking about. But, you know, just so you know, it was 13.2% moisture and then they feel better about it. Right. It's really nice that you can get both values if you need them so that if you're working in an industry that still is kind of stuck on loss on drying, that you can still uh, provide that number. But you, you made a really good point there. Water activity is a measurement free from heating. You know, we don't have to heat the sample and that helps us to get a, a much more accurate measurement as well as the time a, a loss on drying or a, a moisture balance can take 15 minutes, 30 minutes or, or longer. And water activity is something we can do in as little as 60 seconds now or, or up to a couple of minutes. Um, is water activity something that you learned about, Quinn, in, in school? I, I know that your thesis was related to, to water, if I'm not mistaken. And maybe you can talk a, a little bit about that. Yeah, Zach, you're right about that. But I actually didn't work with anything regarding water activity until I got here to Outcast. Um, but I am very familiar with um, how water works as I used to use um, a spectrophotometer. It's very different from a, a water activity meter, but um, we would use that and assess uh, cryogenic effects or cryoprotective effects of different biomolecules on different other biomolecules, particularly enzymes in my case. And so the familiarity of how water works and how important it is in terms of reactivity, its structure, um, how available it is for any other possible constituents that may enter the system that you're studying, that was a familiar concept. So the jump to water activity was pretty uh, smooth in my case. And how have you gone about learning about water activity? What what resources have you found? Or, you know, are, are you just going on the internet? Or are you reaching out to individuals? How, how have you been able to learn more about water activity? So a lot of the, um, the resources that I found were um, basically through uh, Google Scholar, looking through different academic papers. That, that's kind of my go-to coming mm-hmm. out as a fresh student, but I, I did use um, quite a few of the the resources that Meter did provide. And then I kind of dug a little bit deeper and I looked for the textbook actually that a lot of those um, values 
were derived from. And so that allowed me to get a lot more insight on how exactly it works. And also even just, you know, reading the manual on how the (laughs) apparatus actually works gives you huge insight into different uh, parameters that may make or break your the accuracy and precision of your measurement. And what equipment are you using now to measure water activity and, and why is taking those measurements important to your process? Right now we are using the Aqualab 4TE. We have one um, piece of one uh, here in the Dartmouth location. I think there will be another located in the Burlington location. And I'm taking the water activity of our products as they come out of production and kind of using that as a benchmark in terms of quality and stability. And um, yeah, that is uh, that is what we are using it for down here. And um, it is great in terms of the the speed of the test especially most of the time I can get readings under five minutes and so as a busy person and we are so busy here at like this facility as well because we are currently undergoing a lot of developments at the moment so uh, in terms of speed and being able to flexibly take readings when we need to and as they come in and then quickly have those results we can then reassess how we're doing what we're doing. Yeah, sometimes speed is everything. And, and I'm sure you know, just being in a lab, the, the faster you can get that number, the better, especially because it can help you to reduce the variation or, or understand the variation in your products so that you can get a, a better average and reduce uncertainty related with that measurement. Uh, Zach, I, I was hoping that you could discuss the production process in a little bit more detail, maybe starting with how you even find um, the the produce that you're working. How do you get it from farmers or grocers or or food producers? Uh, uh, That's a great question, uh, Zach. So we try and um, really understand it. We've learned it boils down to each individual commodity. So you can't necessarily extrapolate broccoli into potatoes, into tomatoes. So we've tried to do a deep dive on each of our key uh, produce items that we're looking into. And then understand where in the in the stream the the waste occurs the most. So sometimes it happens at, at the farming stage. Sometimes it happens at the grocery stage or the processor stage. Really understand, and we'll reach out. Um, we have a really good business development team, so they'll reach out, make some contact, try and find a mutual area of, of interest. Some uh, processors, farmers are are paying quite a bit to have products trucked to compost. So for them, it's a cost saving opportunity. Some have reached out to us because they've learned about our mission and are very excited especially in the case a little bit of the misfit produce. I think we talked to a lot of farmers who just, it kind of bugs them that something with a little bit of sunburn or a little bit of misshapen is all of a sudden graded out or, you know, if one side's too flat and they're happy to help find a, a, a second home for it. So we've had a lot of good people uh, reaching out directly and just, yeah, overall our, our mission has been very well received when we talk to people, even people that we don't have an immediate fit with, um, they want to stay in touch or they'll put us in touch with someone else in their industry or uh, someone in a different, um, a colleague in a different uh, part of the industry. So um, we've had a lot of success just even through word of mouth in that regard. So and, one of our big challenges true is trying to figure out it has a very short shelf life often at the front end. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our big areas opportunity is late life produce. So dealing with uh, distributors and uh, retail chains that have produce sitting in their warehouse that although it's not yet expired, 
they don't have enough time left in the supply chain to get to their stores and then to the consumer's fridge. So they're looking for a home. So we, we have a little bit of time on it, but we have to bring it in and process it pretty quickly. However, uh, once we get it in, dehydrate it, stabilize it, get the water activity low, we have a very long shelf life on it. So it's it's a, it's a race at one end of the process, and then we have a plenty of time on it. So we're very key on getting it in quickly, um, rinsing it, cutting it up, drying it, getting it stabilized. Then we got some time to figure out what to do with it. So their products, we don't know what we're going to do with them. Sometimes when we bring them in, we just uh, bring them in, figure out how to dry it, dry it. Now we got a couple of years to figure it out. So. <laughs> uh, and, and Quinn, are there some products that you really enjoy working with or, and, and also some products that are tougher um, or uh, present a challenge to work with? Yeah. So we do work with all different types of produce. Per- one pro- type of produce, though, that is particularly kind of challenging to handle it, on the production line and even when looking at results in the lab is um, produce that is kind of on the fence in terms of being, is it still okay to consume or uh, produce with tough skins particularly as well because one thing with that you're trying to extract all the water and so you kind of have to tweak out a little bit of the structural biology part of that as well um, in terms of figuring out how you're going to modify the process to best get the results that you need which is a stable and in some cases tasty end product and the one of my favorites, though, to work with is um, I'm sure you guys might have been familiar with some of our other products, like the Super Greens powder. So when we make kale powder, for example, or even just working with kale, it's really it's one of my favorite um, foods to work with. Uh, not so much because of the um, how to work with it in production, but more so on the nutritional side because I do love having a healthy diet and fall and particularly here learning so much more about preserving nutrients throughout the upcycling process. Um, the one thing I really like about kale is the phylloquinone, um, which is the vitamin K that you hear so much about. And it's actually really cool, important function for um, neurological function. And so that's, one of my interests, I guess, like on the side, but that's particularly why I like working with Kale. I'm just like, this little guy's helping your brain. So, um, <laughs> and, um, to both of you, what, what other products are, are in your portfolio? Um, Quinn just mentioned one, but how do you decide what foods to, to produce if you're going to go towards a supplement or towards just a, a dry ingredient? How do you make that decision and and what are your final products? Oh, that's a good question. We'll we'll look at the characteristics of it once it's dried. So something like like a potato lends itself more towards the food side because it's a great source source of complex carbohydrates, not quite as as nutrient dense as something like kale that that Quinn mentioned. So we direct that more to the ingredient side and the food products. Uh, Things like kale, spinach, almost all like the cruciferous greens have very high nutritional profiles. We'll direct them more to the supplement. And then often just based on um, talking to supplement uh, companies and, and 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 consumers and seeing what it is that that they want. There's some products that you'll see that are already in supplements quite a bit, like mushrooms that lend themselves in that in that direction as well. So, um, yeah, we're always working on on new things, both on the ingredient side 
one of our big pushes right now is just looking at mixes, try and figure out um, with our nutrition team um, how to get things that complement each other. So if there's, um, in Quinn's kale example, if, if it's deficient on something that we want to may have more of a rounded nutritional profile, what else in our portfolio can we add to that to get more of a complete um, nutritional profile? So we have a, a, a nutritionist on our team that does a great job helping us with that kind of thing. And are there any new products that you're working on and that you're excited about that you haven't even released yet that that maybe you can fill us in on? I, I, I'd say stay tuned in the super <laughs> category. We, we have super greens now. We're hoping to get some more colors out there pretty soon. So um, th- that'll probably be the next big one you see. Awesome. Well, uh, what does the future of Outcast Foods look like? Are, are there any other big developments? Or, um, I, I heard you're working on a, another facility and, and maybe you can talk about that. Sure, yes. The facility in Ontario in Burlington, as Quinn mentioned, that's the first purpose-built upcycling ingredient facility built in the world. So we're really trying to work on that uh, to prove out that case. So once, if that works, our capacity is looking really optimistic on that early on. We have a lot of producers that want to work with us. Um, once that gets built, then we hope to, to do another round of, of financing and build some more plants, uh, maybe some closer to California or the West Coast to sort of broaden our, 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 our range. But yeah, we really like to prove out the concept. So we have our smaller facility in Dartmouth, which has started us off. And we're just trying to prove out our our, our scalability because we love this concept to roll out globally that, you know, there's a lot of of food waste out there. So uh, that's sort of the the next step. And then if we need to expand into different commodities, um, as Quinn mentioned, some things are harder to deal with than others. So things that have peels and pits are a bit challenging for us right now. So we're, we're always working on that in the background if we get big opportunities there. Even things like we were talking about the the heat wave that recently just hit the West Coast. I saw an article that about 75% of the cherry crop was in serious damage um, due to heat damage in the Okanagan in BC. And we love to have the technology and the wherewithal in the future. If something like that happens, that we deploy quickly, get a lot of that produce off, and are able to save a lot of the nutrient-rich uh, cherries. So we're not we're not there yet, but that's the kind of thing we want to be able to have is rapid deployment, or it, bring that stuff in quickly and and save it and be able to respond to events like that. And as you grow in size and, and focus on this new facility, uh, I'm sure you need to add people to your team. Are, are you currently trying to fill any positions that, that um, you can kind of push out there and see if anyone listening would be interested in it? I'd say we're always interested in people that are, have really strong knowledge on a given uh, a commodity. We talked to a really interesting gentleman in, in the States who's interested in working with us on, a, on, on the watermelon uh, side, for example. Um, so people have very deep knowledge of a particular commodity or, or are connected there and interested in working with us. We're always interested to form some kind of a relationship with them, whether it's full-time, part-time, just it can really help us source. Because some commodities, the ones that are local to Ontario, Nova Scotia, I'd say we're very good at. And the ones that are a bit further afield, we're trying to get better at. So people with a passion for for produce, I'd say definitely uh, reach out. You can reach out to Quinn or I on LinkedIn, and, and we're always happy to chat. Because in the startup phase, sometimes you don't know what you need until you needed it uh, uh, yesterday. So <laughs> if someone has a skill set, someone's like, hey, that's interesting. We could really use that person. So um, yeah, feel free to reach out. And Quinn, if someone listening to this podcast is interested in in buying your products or learning more about your products, where can they go to? For learning more about our current products that are available, you can always check out our website is www.outcastfoods.com and also our Instagram page, which is at Outcast Mission. And we also do have a very active LinkedIn page in which you can just search up Outcast Foods and we'll be likely the first people to pop up. <laughs> and 
Uh, last question here. If, if there's a, a food producer or manufacturer, grocer, farmer, anybody out there who has some misfit produce um, and, and they've listened to this podcast and they would like to partner with you, what can they do? How, how can they reach you? I think the best thing to do would be to reach out to Quinroy directly on LinkedIn and we'll put you in touch with our business development team. Uh, they're always eager and they have a sort of standard series of questions. They'll reach out pretty quickly and get in touch to see to see if we're a good fit. And uh, we often are a good fit. We always start with kind of the wide net approach and then rule. If, if things don't make sense right now, we'll rule them out. But we always are interested in, in talking. We try and take a very um, non-exclusive approach when we start talking to people. And Often we find, as I mentioned earlier, people that have a passion as well. If, if someone is, if you're working at a retail chain and it really bothers you about the misfit produce or the late life produce you see going out in, in garbage uh, bins or in compost bins, um, often we have that, that mutual passion. It's a lot easier to get uh, business done. So yeah, f- feel free to reach us out. And I believe we have a contact us form on the website as well, if you're more comfortable with that. And that'll get directed to the R&D team and the business development team here at Outcast. And when we post this podcast, we'll, we'll make sure to add your, your contact info as well. Um, I, I really want to thank you both. Thank you, Quinn, and, and thank you, Zach. I, I, I love your company. I, I love the mission that, that you're after. And I'm really excited to, to see where things go for you as we watch you grow. So thank you both again uh, for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for thank having you. us, Zach. Bye. I'm Zachary Cartwright. This is Water and Food. Find this podcast on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.